eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I'm Kim Grenolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. Mid-season awards. It's not quite mid-season, but close enough. After five games, Washington remains undefeated at 5-0 and going into the Oregon game. But bye week, so it's the only bye they have this season going into a good time. Oregon also has a bye week, so we thought it would be a good time to maybe just not put out the content online, but go a little bit more in-depth from our choices. And let's just go ahead and start right off with the top offensive player of the year. And I think we're all pretty much in agreement that the top offensive player of the year is Michael Penix. Talk about Michael a little bit from what you've seen of Michael so far this year, Scott. Well, I I mean, you've just seen a quarterback who's taken his game to the next level. I mean, as good as I thought he was last year, and I think he was pretty damn good last year. I, I think he's even better this year. He's, he's not forcing things. We saw that last game against Arizona where he's checking things down. And Ryan Grubb said, if we can get, you know, 15, 16 yards on a check down, I'll take that every play if I have to. And and a lot of that's because of what Michael Penix is doing. He's not forcing things. We, we've seen him make a couple mistakes, but for the most part, he's been clean. He's he's a big reason that Washington is in the national spotlight. Um, and he's a big reason why Washington has a chance to go uh, pretty damn far in the in the uh uh, in, during this season, whether it be college football playoff, Pac-12 title game, whatever it is, I think a lot of it's going to be because Michael Penix is the quarterback. Talking about Michael a little bit, what you've seen this year, Chris? Well, I think everyone has seen the the ability to create explosives, which is something that he's shown from the beginning of his time at Washington. I think what's improved is that you go back even just a few days to the Arizona game and you see a guy that's really built to play a complete game. Um, if the if the long passes and the, and the bombs are taken away, he can take the underneath stuff. He's more than happy to take the easy money. But that doesn't mean that he can't still complete the third and double digits if he needs to. He did that a couple of different times. He did it uh, probably the, the play of the game uh, at Arizona, in my opinion, was the, the pass to Devin Culp. Culp makes an unbelievable catch, but you know Penix puts it in a place where only he's going to be able to make that catch. So, you know, his ability to put things on point and, and to be able to take what the defenses have given him, I think, is, is bumped to a different level this year on top of the ability to throw the throw the home run balls when he needs to. And then also understand the time and place and space and, and what to do uh, if uh, defenses are taking a certain part of, of the offense away. He yeah. can go another route and make things happen. 
And I think he's taking his game to a whole other level, and I think there's a reason behind it. I think the reason is that going into fall camp a year ago, there was still a quarterback battle for the first couple of weeks, and he wasn't named the starter. But being, you know, having the year that he had last year and then the whole offseason going into this season, knowing that he's the starter, gives him a whole different level of confidence in being the leader of this program. Um, he wasn't happy after the Arizona game. You know, he uh, took the team out to midfield and he pretty much read him the riot act and he was kind of salty in post game. He talked about the standard that they have and they didn't play to the standard that they had set. So um, a little bit different Michael Penix this year and that, um, you know, looking at things that way. But I expect him to be uh, the highest vote getter for a Heisman Trophy for any University of Washington player. And I've talked about this several times in my thoughts from the weekend is the, the great quarterback of all time at the University of Washington he's in the discussion so I'm not going to say that he is but he's definitely in the discussion so uh, it'll be interesting to see after admitting that they didn't play to the standard to see what they do coming out uh, against Oregon because you know they're going to be ready and um, you know moving on to the award for top offensive coach you you and Scott agree I have a little bit different opinion but both of you uh, you know said that you thought Scott Huff was the offensive coach halfway through the season Scott you want to elaborate on that a little bit yeah well I mean coming into the season he had the most to replace of any coach on the on the staff really I mean he lost three important starters uh, from his group of five in um, uh, Corey Luciano Jackson Kirkland and Henry Bainabalu those guys all leave so he has to you know find three new starters to come in he does that Mateo Mele um uh, Nate Kalepo and uh, Julius Bulow are your starters on the inside. He thinks he's all set. Then Mateo Mele goes down and he has to come up with, I'm sorry, I said Julius Bulow. I'm sorry, Parker Brailsford was the other starter. But then uh, Mateo Mele goes down and Parker Brailsford has to move over. And then you have uh, Garen Hatchett in as your starter or Julius Bulow, depending on, you know, the health and everything like that. So, you know, I mean, he's had to kind of mix and match and do a different, a couple different things. And I haven't seen much of a drop off from what we saw from last season. And I thought we would. I thought we would see a little bit of a drop off. And especially with Mateo Mele going down, I thought we'd see even more of a drop off. But we really haven't seen that much of one. And granted, Washington hasn't played the greatest defenses in the world since they, um, you know, since since you know, the kickoff of the season yet. That's that all kind of starts this coming uh, next week when, when they start with the Oregon and they face USC and Utah and those schools like that down the road. But right now I think Washington's playing at a very high level on that offensive line. They've only surrendered three uh, sacks on the season, two of them last week. And, and one of those sacks came when Michael Penix maybe held the ball a little too long. So, um, you know, I, I get why there could be other guys that we that we consider at that, that spot, but to me, Scott Huff is is the guy for uh, for the offensive coach of the year so far. And Chris, you also agree with Scott Huff. I do agree with with, with Scott Huff as the choice because now, granted, in in any particular offensive play, you know, you're going to replace more offensive linemen than hardly any other position because, just because of the numbers. I mean, that just stands to reason. But to replace three guys in the interior. And to do it in a way where at least the first game, Boise State, they put up 56 points, that offensive line didn't drop a beat. I mean, you lose Jackson Kirkland, you lose Corey Luciano, you lose Henry Vanavalu, and you replace them with three guys, and it's just like nothing ever changed. 
But for then the offensive line to lose three players, now they lost guard Memolar before the season started, but all three of these guys, when you add in Mateo Mele and you add in Julius Bilo now, to, th- those three guys were all in the depth at the start of the season. And to lose three guys in the, st- in the depth for the offensive line, that's a lot to replace. And to, to basically just move guys around, take Parker Brailsford, move him to center, bring in Garen Hatchett, play Landon Hatchett, a true freshman, and he just looks like he belongs. I mean, all of these things to me give me all the ammunition and evidence that I need to give Scott Huff this award. And I went with Jamarcus Shepard, uh, and we talked about the standard earlier, and Mark, Jamarcus Shepard definitely has a standard in that wide receiver room. We've been doing this a long time, and we've seen times where one or two wide receivers are tough, um, but I haven't seen a group like this that is as tough as this group. Uh, they don't mind getting hit. Jalen McMillan, you know, uh, Scott, you called him soft quite a bit after his freshman year, and I agreed. Jalen McMillan isn't soft anymore, and you take a look at the attitude that that wide receiver room has. You take away the take a look at the way they block. Um, it is uh, what did what did uh, Jamarcus uh, Shepard say? Going out of bounds is like going to hell. So mm-hmm. just the toughness and as good as those receivers were last year, I think they've all gotten better. Jalen Polk is better. I think Romo Dunsey has taken it to another level. He's playing like an NFL player. Jalen McMillan is better. Jalen Polk has really stepped it up. And then you take a look at what Jeremy Bernard has done just even from spring ball to fall ball. And then the, you've got Denzel Boston waiting in the wings, Rashad Williams and uh, Rashid, Rashid Williams. Rashid. Yeah. And, and Lions. And they've got more tough guys coming up. So that attitude in that room and the standard that they've set, I think, is as good as I've ever seen at Washington. So um, let's go ahead and move along over to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, no, uh, one more time, just the best offensive game. You guys were in agreement, and I differed a little bit with you on that. Uh, Scott, who did you? Th- what did you think was the best offensive game this year? Uh, it's Michigan State, um, and I think the big reason why was just because I mean they put up, uh, you know, what was it was it was it was over six hundred yards or it was what was it what was the total seven hundred seven hundred seven hundred thirteen yeah, yards yeah seven hundred thirteen yards. Chris, you laid it out really perfectly that that it's the second most ever by Washington or to ever put out offensive yards. It's the most ever laid on Michigan state. Um, and they're in there. I mean, they've been around for a hundred years. Washington's been around for a hundred years and, and Washington put up huge numbers. Uh, Michael Penix threw for 473 yards. The running game got going a little bit. Um, I, I just, it seemed like they could do no wrong. Michael Penix put the ball up. Uh, in places where only his guys could get it. You've already kind of mentioned Kim that that uh, he did that earlier, and and he's putting the ball where uh, only his guys can go get it. And Romo Odunze had a huge catch down the middle. Uh, you saw Jalen Polk with a couple nice catches. He he had he even it it that game was so good from Washington from an offensive standpoint that one of the worst passes that Michael Penix has probably thrown since he's a Husky. Uh, went right through the hands of a linebacker, bounced up about 15 feet in the air. Jalen Polk runs underneath it, catches it, eludes three guys, and goes to the end zone for a touchdown. So it was just, it was kind of just whatever Washington did that day, they could do no wrong. And um, I just thought Washington's offense was was unbelievable in that game. And Chris, you also picked uh, Michigan State. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, 
the numbers just, I mean, it's hard to ignore. I mean, again, 713 total yards, most ever given up by, by a Michigan State program in their history, which is just, out, I mean, that's just unbelievable. I mean, Washington outgained Michigan State by roughly 450 yards. I mean, it just you just don't see these things happen every day. And they did it by just being who they are. And, you know, you're, you're up 35 nothing on the road in the Big Ten. I mean, now that Washington's going to be in the Big Ten, guys, I mean, when's the next time you expect that to happen? Will that ever happen? I don't yeah. know. But I just, I mean, when you see those things, you, how can you not put this game as the, as the top offensive game so far this year? Yeah, and I differed a little bit in that I put Boise State because I think most of the prognostications had Washington scoring, you know, in the high 20s, low 30s, and they come out. And against Boise State, we're not talking, you know, a, a, a substandard school. We're talking about a school that a lot picked to be uh, in the uh, talk for postseason accolades. And Washington came out, set the tone for the year, scored 56 points and pulled their starters early. So I just think that set the tone for everything that followed, you know, scoring the 56 against Boise and I don't think anybody saw Washington scoring 56 points against Boise State, whose strength was supposed to be their defense. So uh, that's where I differed a little bit. But, uh, you know, hey, that Michigan State game was something else. I was there and I was looking up the scoreboard, standing next to Softy, and I, was, I looked at him. I go, do you realize you only have 13 more yards to have 700 total yards? And he looked up and he looked at me and. You can imagine what Softy said. So uh, that Michigan State game was pretty wild. But, uh, yeah, I like the Boise State game. So, um, you know, just moving over to the other side of the ball, uh, guys, uh, top defensive player uh, for you, uh, Scott Eklund. Um, my top uh, defensive player um, I had was uh, – what did I put down? <laughs> uh, Dominique Campton. And um, I, I could have gone a number of different ways uh, with this, but um, I thought Hampton – um, I just think the way he's played, the way with, with Asa Turner going down, um, what was second game, I think, that he went out. Um, and he's basically leading the Huskies in tackles. He had 12 tackles last week against Arizona. Uh, he's been a physical presence. He's been better in coverage. Not not perfect by any stretch, but uh, better in coverage. I just think overall he's been a real leader for Washington in the deep patrol and, and uh, um has really been a calming presence and a physical presence for Washington in an area that needed that physical presence uh, as compared to what they got last year. Yeah, and I'm calling him T-Bone because every time he hits somebody, he's like T-boning them. So mm-hmm. Dominic Hampton's definitely having a good first half. And Chris Fetters, you had uh, Braylon Trice. I did, and I like Hampton too because I think he's really picking up where Alex Cook left off in terms of being kind of that enforcer back there, uh, at, at least at first with Asa Turner, now with – uh, both Vincent Nunley and uh, Cameron Fabikalanen, but Trice is my pick, and um, you know he's you know he's he's getting double teams. He's he's doing everything he can possibly do to disrupt things uh, up front, which I think is really leading to some ripple effects in the back. I think it's really helping the 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 secondary to play better, to play tighter, to get those turnovers. They've got more picks this year than they had all of last year already. And we're not even halfway through the season. I think a lot of that has to do with guys like Trice up front really disrupting things, even though he may not have the numbers 
to back it up yet, but he's still, guys, he's still leading the edge players in tackles. He's second on the team, in t- tied for second on the team in tackles for loss. He's tied for second uh, second on the team in sacks, just got his first sack against Arizona, leads the team still in quarterback hurries. So he's still affecting the game in so many ways, even if statistically he's not where anyone would have expected him to be. Yeah, and I chose uh, Jabbar Muhammad. I think he's having an all-conference type year. He was a second-team all-conference in the Big 12 last year. I think he's just shutting down that side of the field. And when you have a lockdown corner who can shut down things like he has, because you look at him and he's not very big. But, man, is he sticky. So uh, I think Jabbar Muhammad's having a hell of a first year. And, you know, finding a shutdown corner, it's not easy. And uh, they've got one in uh, Jabbar Muhammad. So uh, going to the defensive coach of the year, uh, let me scroll up a little bit. Scott, who did you have? Uh, the defensive coach of the year. I <laughs> I know a lot of For the half of the year. For the half year. For the first half of the year um, so far. is I, I put down uh, Juice Brown, Julius Brown. I, I think the corners have have definitely taken a, a leap or two uh, step forward in in their development. I think they're playing better. I think they're tackling much better. Um, we've seen, um, you know, a lot more of a lockdown, like you said, with Jabbar Muhammad. We've got they've they've locked down one side. Um, the other side, I think, has been kind of hit and miss at times with Elijah Jackson. But I think Elijah Jackson is really coming on and playing a lot better. Uh, now that he's gotten some some experience, that first game was a little rough against uh, Boise State. But overall, I think just the amount of steps that that the secondary has taken and especially at the corner spots, I I'm giving it to Juice Brown. Chris, you had uh, Chuck Morrell. I did for a lot of the same reasons that Scott picked Juice. Um, I just think that the improvement has been even even greater. Uh, with the safeties than it has been with the corners. And, and again, the corners have done phenomenal things. I think tackling in space is so much more improved from last year. I think there's still issues down the field, one-on-one defending, pers- uh, pass interference, things like that. Now, it's not like the safeties don't have some pass interference issues, too. So I'm not trying to deny that at all. But when you lose one of your top players in Asa Turner earlier in the season, and you've got to rely on a guy like Vincent Nunley to go in first start at Michigan State and play the way he did, I mean, it was amazing. And then on top of that, he rated over 90. He got a grade of over 90 by Pro Football Focus for his play at Arizona. So on the road, this guy has turned out to be an absolute monster, which is phenomenal because I think a lot of us felt like Nunley had a chance to be a really, really good player when he came out of high school, and he's just starting to show what I think we all thought he was capable of doing. And then you add to that Dom Hampton, you know, the leading tackler on the team has turned into a real force, a real thumper back there. Cam Fabiculan, and I think we all can agree his improvement has been really, really big from last year to this year. So those guys, you add Mikel Esteen, you've got younger guys coming through like Diesel Gordon, um, you know, and some of these other guys coming through. I think Chuck Morrell gets the award so far. Yeah, and I went with William Inge, you know, coaching the linebackers because we were saying at the start of the year that they had five deep, and I think they've got six deep right now with uh, Carson Bruner, uh, uh, Tupatala, uh, and uh, Eddie. Devin Bryant is the freshman who's really stepped up, and I think he's the sixth guy. And you also have um, – did I mention – Braylon Goforth. 
Raylan yeah. Goforth. Yeah, uh, they're just loaded. I think that's the strength of this defense is the depth and the quality of the linebackers that they have. So uh, and I think they're playing really well and doing a lot of different things. And that's why I picked William Inge. Um, the top defensive game of the preseason. I shouldn't say preseason, the first half of the year. Uh, we all chose uh, Michigan State. Why did you choose Michigan State, Scott? Uh, because I just thought that, you, you know, and, and Chris said it, I'm going to steal his thunder. Thanks for picking me first. <laughs> that it, I said since the uh, Oregon game that there hasn't been um, a more complete win for Washington um, in the Oregon 2016 game. I don't think there's been a more complete game for Washington than that Michigan State game. They rolled up all those yards offensively and then defensively they held um, they held them to just. Uh, 261 total yards and 53 on the ground. And this is to a, to a team that was averaging, I think, 150 or something like that on the ground um, heading into that game. So Washington and they have a really good uh, tailback. They had the top rushing run, rushing uh, player in the Big Ten conference heading into that game that they faced off. And I think he had 20 yards on the night. So um, Washington, I think, just overall did really well. They should have had a turnover on that first uh, series uh, where where uh, Zion Tupawola Fatui gets a sack and and definitely forces a fumble. It was one of the most egregious non uh, uh, non overturned replays I've ever seen. The fact that they didn't even replay it just I, I still am flabbergasted about that. But um, you know Michelle Powell has a great um, pick that sets up another score for Washington. I just thought overall Washington played their best game defensively against Michigan State. And you also chose Michigan State, Chris. Oh, yeah. No, the numbers were staggering. I mean, Scott mentioned the 261 total yards, but you look inside that. He mentioned the, the rushing attack. Nate Carter was the, the, the reigning Big Ten player of the week going into that game. He ran for uh, a total of 48 yards. He, he averaged 2.8 yards a carry. Their whole entire rush attack only averaged two yards a carry, 53 yards on 27 attempts. That's crazy. Um, Noah Kim, who had looked pretty good the first three games, even though he hadn't really played anybody, they they, they kept him to 12 for 31 for 136 yards. His, his college rating was 69.1. Compare that with Michael Penix's rating in the same game, 228.4. The discrepancy in what the defense was able to do to shut down that attack was incredible because – Yes, there was so many so many things going on off the field at Michigan State, but one of the thoughts was instead of breaking everybody apart, this was going to be a galvanizing thing for the Spartans. This was going to bring everyone together. The crowd was going to be intense. As you mentioned, Kim, before the game, first time beer was going to be in the stadium. Oh yeah. All of these things were supposedly going to conspire to make this a crazy atmosphere and one that Washington was going to have a really difficult time dealing with. Defense shut that down right away, and as Scott said, the thing with Zion Tupelo Fatui right off the gate, even if he didn't get the benefit of the call on that play, that was a tone setter, and I think that that was the thing that they needed to really get going, and they didn't give up any points in that game until the the second and third teamers were well in the game, and yeah. you know they if they had put if they kept in their number one guys in all the way through that game, I think they could have kept Michigan State to right around 200 total yards. I think they were that dominant. 
Yeah, and I think they would have had the shutout as well. And we mentioned the atmosphere going in there, and then you get that time zone difference. And it's a real thing, the three-hour time difference. And the coaches tried to keep them on West Coast time, but only allowing seven points to that team, you know, if, if you get this defense to hold teams to seven points a game, and uh, they're going to win every game. But, uh, yeah, I just thought it was an outstanding performance by the defense, and they caused a lot of chaos and havoc. And uh, I think we're going to see that type of defense again coming up soon. But moving over to special teams, uh, two of us agree, but, Scott, you were kind of the outlier on that. You had Carson Bruner. Yeah, I just, I, you know, and, and when I read what you guys wrote, I have no qualms of what you guys wrote, um, but I just went with Carson Bruner. I just thought he's been uh, kind of a stalwart on the coverage units. I, I think he's always around the ball. He's had a couple big hits that have also set the tone. I think, I, you know... I, you know, when, when you picked it there, I, there was part of me that thought of saying Romo Odunze because of the, uh, kick return or the punt return for a touchdown. But, um, you know, he, he just hasn't made an impact all the way through, um, except for that one game. And, and because he hasn't been back there, it's, it had been Jalen McMillan before that. But, um, yeah, that's why I chose Carson Brewster. I just thought he's had, uh, some really good hits on, on, uh, the coverage units. And Chris, you and I agree, Jaden Green, the long snapper, the deep snapper, the uh, pass catcher. Uh, Jaden Green doesn't get a lot of attention, and you've had a chance to talk to him. He's just a great kid, and Kalen DeBoer says he's one of the hardest workers on the team. Yeah, and outside of kickoffs, I mean, it's he's on every special teams play. And not only – I mean, I even look back to, to last year's midseason awards, and we had Jaden Green because of, of the way he had uh, performed. Because in my opinion, not only was he great with the snapping – but he was actually getting the first guy down the field on a lot of plays. You know, he's not the biggest guy in the world, which allows him to kind of utilize his speed, his quicks to get down there and make plays, make tackles. The fact that he caught a touchdown this this year is even added to it for me. So to me, this was kind of a no brainer. Well, extra point, extra point, right? Or sorry, yeah, two. Yeah. Well, two was point it extra conversion. point or two point? So two point conversion. Yeah. So yeah, two point conversion. Sorry, yeah, you're right. Yeah, great kid. It was funny when I talked to him earlier this year because he still has another year of eligibility to come back if he wants. And I asked him if he's going to come back and he started hedging. Well, you know, uh, he goes, yeah, I'm coming back. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, he says have, he's have we ever back. heard of a long snapper leaving early? Yeah. So. Uh, when, when you asked him that question, I'm like, and he hedged on it. I was like, really? Really? <laughs> I've never heard of a long snapper saying he was going to leave early for the NFL. Yeah, no, but uh, he's a great kid, and just uh, for him to be able to have that moment meant a lot. But, you know, if you want to go with a 1B, you know, Grady Gross has been really good on kickoffs, extra points of field goals this year. So just kind of a little bit of a shout-out to Grady Gross taking over for Peyton Henry. So This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. 
Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Uh, biggest game remaining, I think we all are pretty much agreement. Uh, you know, I, I gave my longest answer, Oregon, duh. But uh, it, th- we're all in agreement. This is a huge game coming up this uh, next weekend. Yeah, it is. Definitely it is. And um, could be the biggest, you know, the I said that it's going to be the most electric uh, that we've seen Husky Stadium since uh, the Stanford game of 2016. That that what it, that was a Friday night game, I'm pretty sure. Or was it Thursday? I think it was yeah, a Friday no, night Friday. game. Yeah, Friday night game. And everybody was amped up. And, you know, Stanford had kind of had Washington's number up to that point for for a while at that point and and Washington just took it to him and and uh held one of the best players in the in the country in Christian McCaffrey to god I want to say single digits in the amount of yards that he got in that game and and uh I think this is going to be an electric atmosphere for Washington um to play in um it's going to be real interesting to see how these players handle this because um I don't know if this coaching staff has had this group in a game like this yet. And um, they, well, they definitely haven't had it in this kind of an atmosphere and, and uh, it's going to be electric in that building. People need to get there early and they need to be as loud as possible because this is going to be one of those games that you're going to be able to say, I was at the university. I was at Husky stadium when this, when this game, when this game happened. And um, I think it's going to be, I mean, Oregon's a great team. They're a talented team. They're an electric team. The the fact that they are Washington's arguably their biggest rival. I know that we have a debate between Washington state and Oregon, but the fact that Oregon is Washington's most hated rival, let's put it that way. Um, you know, I, I think Washington, um, th- this game is going to be unbelievable to be part of. And that's why um, I'm probably going to be, there uh at night no later than 9 30 in the morning <laughs> you know for uh us getting down on the, those sidelines what it's going to be like on the on the field before the game and warm-ups it wouldn't surprise me i you know i don't think uh the coaching staff is going to let their guys kind of get into any kind of pre-game chatter like we saw with colorado and colorado state but it wouldn't surprise me if stuff like that happens i don't think these these programs like each other. I, I know these players kind of know each other from high school days and everything, but I think I wouldn't be surprised if there's some some talking going on beforehand and if we have to see some separation of, of things. So um, just keep an eye out for that. Going to be a great game and a fun atmosphere to be a part of. And Chris, like I said, Oregon, duh. I mean, does it really need explanation? Well, not for this year specifically, because again, the, the us versus us thing, the one and oh, it's the most important game to these guys because it's the next game, right? That's But that's the coach talk. That's the cliche. But from the fan standpoint, yeah. I mean, and maybe I'm alone at this, but these teams could be unranked, and I still think this, this game would be off the charts crazy. You know, it wouldn't maybe be played at 1230 on ABC. But the fact that it's the first time in the rivalry, in the history of the rivalry, and this, is, this goes back a long, long way, that both teams are going to be in the top ten, yeah, that's going to be just nuts by itself. ESPN game day, almost surely going to be in Seattle. Uh, and then, you know, going back, people have said, too, and I haven't done the full research on this, but I, I take their word at it, that if you go back to in terms of rankings and things like that, the last time a game was this important in terms of the highest two ranked teams in the Pac-12, you have to go back 10 years. And so that will tell you just how important this game is on so many different levels. And it really is kind of the first game that really gets the dominoes falling in terms of the matchups between 
USC, Oregon, Washington, Utah, Oregon State, and then Washington State, UCLA. All of these dominoes are going to start falling, and this is the time where in years past, guys, I mean, let's be real honest. The conference has cannibalized itself every single time. Is this going to be the year where maybe one or two of the teams, you know, step up and really take care of business to the point where the the Pac-12 championship game guarantees you a berth into the college football playoff? We'll see. But 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 that Saturday on the 14th, that's the game that's going to get all this stuff started. And it couldn't and it couldn't be a. Um, it, there won't be a higher amount of of anticipation for a game in so long because what 2016 was the last time game day was in Seattle for the USC game and that's the other thing too both times they've been in Seattle both losses so can they can Washington get that off their that monkey off their back a lot of things going on in this game for sure but there's no doubt to me Oregon is the is the the biggest remaining game of the season for Washington. It is. And like I said, I don't even need to explain it. It's Oregon. That's that's the only explanation you need. So, uh, you know, just to revise season record, Scott, you've got them going 11 and one. Yeah, I think I believe I had them in my preseason prediction at 10 and two. And um, I just from the way the offense is playing, the way the defense has taken a step or two in the right direction. I don't see them losing two games um, that that also depends on them staying healthy. That depends on them. Um, you know, playing up to what they're capable of playing, but um, they've got a tough road to hoe, though. I mean, they've got games at uh, Stanford, which is never an easy road trip for Washington. They've got a they've got a game at um, at uh, USC, and then they've got US, and then they've got uh, Washington State, Utah, Oregon, and Arizona State all at home. Um, so you know, not not an easy stretch by any by any stretch of the imagination. Washington State is a very good program and Utah uh or you know they got a game at Oregon State as well. So you know not easy uh by any stretch of the imagination for Washington, but I think um Washington the, I think they'll stub their toe. I think they're going to lose a game that maybe um they could have won or or whatever, but um I I think you know 11 and 1, you know a lot of people would have thought, you know, taking 11 and one at the start of this season. If I had said, if you can win, go 11 and one, no matter who the loss is, uh, would you take that? And I would say 95% of Husky fans would take that. Chris, you've also got them at 11 and one. Yes. And I also uh, upgraded it from 10 and two because I, I do still think that Washington will run the table at home. And Scott's right. They still have some tough home games. I mean, not just Oregon, but Utah, Washington State. Uh, Arizona State. Arizona State should be a, a pretty uh, comfortable win, at least on paper. But the other two games are going to be really, really tough. And you know what? The the reason why I changed it to eleven and one is because I initially had that USC game as a loss. But just what their defense has done so far just doesn't. I just don't think they've got the defense to stop Washington's attack now. I thought at the beginning of the season they had the bodies to do it. I expected Alex Grinch to to improve. As a coordinator, that that clearly hasn't happened yet. Um, guys are still making mistakes. They're still keeping teams in games. So I think Washington will beat USC in uh, in LA. The one game that I think is a total trap game and a bogey game, and I said it from the beginning of the year, 
and I still believe it, especially after seeing you, them play uh, host Utah, is Oregon State. I think Washington will lose at Oregon State. I just think that that place can get really, really amped. I think Oregon State might be the most balanced team in the league right now, although I still think they have to show me some things in the past game with uh, DJ Uyunglele. I think they he's got to keep improving and keep getting better. But that run game should be the best run game that Washington sees outside maybe of Oregon. Um, but Damian Martinez, I think he's, uh, to me, he's the best running back in the league. I know some people will say Bucky Irving. Um, some other people will say the guy at USC, that's fine. But uh, to me, the Oregon State game is the bogey game. But still, going from 10-2 and two to 11-1, I think Washington looks really, really good on paper right now against USC. That would be a huge win for them. And I had them at 11-1, and one, and I'm sticking to that. I just think it's so difficult to uh, go undefeated in this conference that, uh, you know, more than likely, uh, or there's a good chance of them, you know, uh, losing a close game. But, you know, the thing that I keep in the back of my mind Kalen DeBoer's gone undefeated before, and he has won a national championship. He knows what it takes. He knows what it feels like. He's been there. Sure, it was on a smaller stage, but, you know, how many coaches can you say that have won national championships, let alone multiple national championships? Kalen DeBoer has. So uh, if they're going to go undefeated in conference play, Kalen DeBoer's done it. He knows how to do it. So uh, just keep that in the back of your mind when you're thinking about, you know, this national championship playoff run you know and just our um final uh category just uh, second half surprise scott eklund what do you got as a surprise uh i i and this one's gonna be a stretch because um one one guy has missed two games and um but i i think washington's gonna end up with three 1000 yard receivers by the end of the season I, I just I think Jalen Polk is is the guy who I never would have predicted got would get a thousand yards and he's gonna I think he's easily gonna get a thousand yards. I think Romo Dunze is gonna get a thousand yards and I think you know it, I think they're gonna do enough to get Jalen McMillan involved enough as long as he stays healthy and he comes back for this upcoming game against Oregon and it sounds like he's probably going to. Um, it. You know, I I think Washington's gonna um, have three 1,000 yard receivers for the first time in program history, and I don't know how many other than like a run and shoot team from the from the 80s and 90s. I don't know if if there's been a team um, that had three 1,000 yard receivers. Chris, your biggest surprise for the second half of the season? Yeah, I'm I'm gonna throw it back your way, Ken. What's your what's your second half surprise? If I told you, it wouldn't be a surprise. So yeah, see, that's why. That's why. That's no. That's not acceptable. Yeah, <laughs> that's not acceptable. No, you you've got to come up with something because that's not, not that's not a surprise. Not not, not telling. I'll tell you. In, I'll tell you. In, I'll tell you in confidence. No, that's come on, man. You got to come up with something. <laughs> you got to come up with something. Throw something out there, Kim. Scott, Just throw Scott one and thing I out both there. came up with something, so you got to come up with something. At the end of the season. There will be at least one movement on the current staff. Okay, that's a good. That's okay. a good, that's a great second half surprise. I think yep. that's a, that's a lot better than mine. So I give you credit <laughs> for the first time ever. But anyways, no, oh, my my second half surprise, guys, is that uh, I think just because of the movement on the offensive line and the fact that guys have not really been able to stay healthy and it's been kind of a struggle to to keep a coherent five. 
My second half surprise is I am predicting that both the Hatchet brothers will start in the final Apple Cup in Pac-12 history. And most likely side by side. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. You think? Uh, yep. Let's wrap it up, guys. We're both slammed today. So, Scott Eklund, anything else to add? No, huh? Just uh, it's hard to believe we're, you know, basically the halfway point. And, um, you know, it's it's going to be a fun final seven weeks of this uh, regular season and just kind of see where Washington goes. I think this could be um, one that, that people will say, hey, I I got to watch one of the best Husky teams of all time come out and play and um they're definitely one of the most entertaining <laughs> and uh and uh i think it's going to be a fun last seven weeks of this regular season wrap it up chris fetters yeah no nothing to add uh, other than what scott said and and uh got a good promo going on so you can talk a little bit about that as well but no better time to join than right now i mean with the oregon game on the horizon uh, a lot of stuff going on basketball is about to kick into high gear recruiting there's still stuff going on bubbling behind uh bubbling under the surface if you're if you're on our recruiting board you know what we're talking about so yeah just a lot of a lot of great stuff going on right now i expect something to happen tomorrow afternoon by the way why do i expect something to happen tomorrow afternoon what tomorrow afternoon being what wednesday afternoon yeah we're recording this on tuesday so okay when do you why do i why do you think i'm expecting something on wednesday afternoon I can tell you exactly why. Because I'm gone, you're gone, and Scott's gone. We're kind of spread out. So when we're all gone, they're just kind of waiting. So the minute we go, they're going to go, go now, go now, go now. So uh, just a reminder, as Chris mentioned, we're running a promo that ends tonight. uh, Get the final two months uh, of the year for a buck. Um, If you're just looking at the front page, that's not where the good stuff is. The good stuff is on the hardcore football, hardcore basketball, hardcore recruiting board. That's where you're you're going to see the really, really good stuff. So, you know, Brandon Huffman, Blair Angulo, Greg Biggins, myself, Chris, there's a lot of insiders out on that board who have a lot to add. So that's where the good stuff is. So uh, we work real hard at this and uh, we're, we're going to try to pick up the podcast a little bit more. And if you have some topics you want us to cover on the podcast, don't hesitate to shoot us a note, huskystadium at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, maybe we can do a couple specialty podcast so just keep it here for all of us at dogman.com i'm kim grenolds along with chris fetters and scott eklund go dogs 